Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Wayne Holly. Wayne is the president and chairman of Sage Ruddy & Company. Joining the firm in 1980, he assumed the role of president after mastering many positions within the firm. His strong beliefs in traditional values and ethical standards ensures he is perfectly suited to lead Sage Ruddy. Wayne holds a variety of licenses with the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, a Bachelor of Science degree in Finance and Economics from Alfred University, as well as successful completion of the Securities Industry Association Executive Education Program at the Wharton School of Finance. An advocate for at-risk children, Wayne currently sits on the board of directors of the Bavonia Child Advocacy Center. In addition, he and his wife, Judy, are deeply involved in the Monroe County Foster Care Program, having helped raise nearly 50 foster children, which I remember the first time I heard that number, I was absolutely amazed. So, um, Wayne, thank you for coming and and, uh, glad to have you here. My pleasure. We're now on number 53, actually. Wow. All right. You got to update that website, I there guess. There you go. <laughs> all right. So give me a brief overview. It sounds like in, in 1980, you joined Sage Ruddy. So it's, uh, it's been a while, but give me a brief overview of maybe Sage Ruddy itself starting and then, and then what brought you to the firm? Yeah. Um, it's a family firm. Uh, it's been around since 1915, so we're over 100 years old. Uh, my grandfather joined the firm out of college back in 1928 and uh, worked his way up through the firm and ultimately over a period of time was able to buy into the firm. And as some things happened and took place, and there was no other family members of the other founders that um, he was able to to purchase the firm outright. Um my father, my uncle, uh, they were involved in the firm after the Korean War. They had both been in banking and then joined Sage Ruddy, um, the old line brokerage firm, stocks and bonds, if you will. Um, I, out of college, I actually worked in the music industry uh, for Chuck Mangione's Gates Music. Um, so that was a, that was a fun gig, as you as it were, for uh, for a few years, and and then. Um, uh, I wanted to, to try to move on and use more of what I had learned in, in college and such. And so I took an entry-level position at the company and um, over a period of time, over many years, just, again, worked my way up uh, at various levels, uh, municipal bond trading, worked into the, the equity trading uh, desk, uh, worked to, built my own book of business, worked my, with my own clients, and then took on more and more managerial roles. And then ultimately... Um, had to make a decision if uh, it's hard to do both. It's hard to have two masters. Uh, the clients always would come first as they should. And if I wanted to be able to grow the firm and try to do some different things, I knew that I had to give up the, the client side. So I primarily now just work on uh, in, in leadership and, uh, and have just a handful of long, long time uh, relationships that, uh, that I still continue to work with. Interesting. Yeah. So, so growing up in, growing up in a family business, I, I definitely can resonate with that. You know, I, I had the opportunity, my, my dad started his, his company that, that I'm now running in, in 95, I was seven years old at the time learning, learning the ropes around the dinner table, I always say. So was that something for you that, uh, from an early age, you thought that this was the right track for you as following in your grandfather and your father's footsteps, or was it a surprise to move in that direction? You know, it was never, um, as I was growing up, uh, the, we, we didn't really talk shop at around the table. And about the only job I did for the company in, in the summer sometimes, I did some painting and some, uh, you know, some general cleanup and things like that. So it really was never, uh, there was never that kind of discussion. Um, in fact, it wasn't until I was in college that I really understood what they did that my dad and my uncle and my grandfather 
were owned a business or, or my grandfather did anyway, and that um, you know they were in the stock brokerage business, and I didn't really pay much attention to it. I was busy doing you know all my teenager things that we all that we all do. Sure. Um, it was once I got into school and began to understand that better, and then taking some different classes uh, and really. Uh, better understanding the work that they do uh, and and uh, the services that they provided then that started to spark an interest so um, yeah it was uh, it was kind of a surprise in some ways yeah yeah so it, from 1980 until uh, now 2018 I'm sure the the, the company itself in, in terms of headcount and things has, has probably grown and, and it sounds like the services have evolved as well so tell me a little bit about how in that time, the, the, the company has changed and evolved. Sure. Um, you know, again, when I started back with the firm, um, we were stockbrokers. Uh, we bought and sold stocks for a commission. Uh, somebody would come to the office with, uh, with, with some money and say, you know what, invest this for me. And if you do a good job, I'll give you some more. That was the that was basically the that was the that was the industry back then. The brokerage firms they controlled information. Uh, so you know the person on the street couldn't get stock quotes. You had to call the broker. You had to call a broker to get the stock quotes. Um, they had little to no research available to them, so you had to call the advisor or call the broker to get research and they make those recommendations. So it was really. Um, uh, it was protected, if you will. You know, then then the uh, then the days of the uh, discount brokerage firms came on. So they came after the brokerage firms, having to you know have you bring your commission levels down and and things like that. And um, you know, fast forward uh, quite a few more years, and then all of a sudden you had the internet where. Everybody has access to everything. And so, yes, we had to really shape the firm differently. And that's where I saw changes needed to be, needed to be done. Um, I, within the firm, I introduced financial planning. Um, I felt that that was an area that we could continually bring a lot of expertise and a lot of value. I still do. And, um, and that's one of our real, real, one of our real strengths. So in, I guess also, you know, it's, we've really, uh, the company has shifted to a, um, assets under management model. So instead of generating commissions, selling and buying stocks or what have you, we manage people's assets and we get paid, we get paid for that. The, um, um, you know, back then, you know, we were probably, Oh heck! It was probably fifteen percent of our revenue was recurring from from fees generated. Now we're up uh, over eighty six, eighty seven percent of our revenues are recurring in in nature from assets under management. We've got sixty five people. Back then we probably had, you know, seventeen or eighteen people. Um, so we've we've had some nice growth, and um, we continue to evolve. Uh, I think we're going to see more of that as, as time goes on, but I think we're in a good place and uh, where we really bring that value is the, the planning, the strategic thinking, helping the clients uh, uh, develop their strategies and their goals. And then we'll work with, in most cases, we'll work with their accountants, their attorneys, make sure all the pieces of the puzzle all fit together so they're not uh, conflicting. Mm. Yeah, so it, it sounds like there's been a lot of, especially technology-wise over the years, whether it's the discount brokerages or you know all sorts of things that, that are happening now in terms of being able to sometimes you know cut cut folks like like yourselves out in terms of you know the folks that are trying to to do their investments. So I'm curious, 
what what you all do with Sage Ruddy? To, how do you set yourselves apart? Not only it sounds like from from your competitors of you know other financial services firms because I know that there's many out there, but but also how do you how do you set yourselves apart from you know maybe that that super low discount uh, the 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 website that may do some of the things, although obviously I'm sure you'd argue not all the things that that you all take care of. Yeah, well, a couple things. Um, I guess first of all, I would say that there's always going to be individuals out there who are going to manage their own their own wealth. Uh, some, some of them are really, really good at it. It's, you know, become a, a second career, not, I won't say a second career, but, um, something that they spend a lot of time on and they've, they've educated themselves and, um, and they have a real passion around it. So I think there's always going to be those individuals out there who can do a lot of it themselves. Um, we do find that, um, along those lines anyway, um, we find many times when someone comes to us, they may have been doing it from, for themselves many, many, many years, but they get to a certain point and they realize their mortality. And, um, you know, if statistics are correct, um, if you're married, our wives will survive us, um, that we're going to go first. And uh, many times we'll, we will find, uh, and it's not, every, it's not all the time, certainly, that the male drives the finances. It's not, it's not uncommon at all uh, to have, have a, a female running the, the family finances. But, um, you know, the older, the older style kind of, uh, you know, past uh, relationships, the man was, the, that, was that guy. And um, they want to they wanna play a role in finding a successor for when they're no longer around that they can trust and that they know that, they're, that their, their spouse, their, their wife can trust when they're no longer around. And um, so many times uh, we see, we see advisor. We see the uh, the the clients that come to us um, become clients because of that. Um, I think the the other piece is that um, in in a lot of cases, people they spend a lot of time over the years accumulating wealth. You know, you do it without even thinking about it in your four hundred one k at work and your profit sharing plan, and if you've got an investment savings account and and things like that. So, you know, you're you're building it. You're not thinking about it. It's almost automatic. Um, all of a sudden, they wake up one day, and there's some been some real money created and um, some real wealth. Now, all of a sudden, you know you make a mistake and you're the window of opportunity to rebuild that starts to shrink. Um, so many times we'll find that as the, as the clients get older or the prospects get older and um, they're, you know, they're starting to knock on, they start to, maybe they, maybe they, they have see some friends, you know, pass away unexpectedly um, at a, at a relatively young age. And, so many times, you know, there's some singular event that all of a sudden somebody says, I probably should get some help with this. And I think as long as there are people that are, are searching and want to have that human connection, um, you know, and I'll tell you, there's nothing more, there is nothing, uh, you know, besides your relationship with your family and friends and what have you, there's nothing more personal than the wealth somebody has built up because it's, it's not for the money, it's for the freedoms and the choices that it gives you. And so there's where the important lies. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it allows people to be generous and philanthropic. And, and that's a large part of what we help people do as well. So I think there'll always be a place for that, 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 um, that personal touch and that personal contact when it comes to finances. That doesn't mean that it won't change and there'll be certain things that are, you know, it's even become that way now. Um, investing the dollars have, have, have really, you know, it's 
has become very generic in some ways. Um, so it's really the advice and the counsel um, of another human being that I think that uh, our industry needs to really be able to focus on and where we put our efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, that, that human connection is, is tough, to, tough to replace. Uh, it's, it's a very important piece of it. Sure. And, and I know that one of the other ways that, that you set yourselves apart, I, I, probably the first time that Sage Ruddy came onto my radar was I saw that you have been honored several times in, as one of the best small companies to work for in America by uh, the, the Great Place to Work Institute. And so I'm curious, you know, there, there's all kinds of things that, that culture can, can provide in terms of re- attracting, retaining employees, th- those elements of it. But was culture always a, a focus at, at Sage Ruddy as long as you've been around? Or has that been kind of a, an intentional shift uh, under your leadership? How, how did that come into play? Yeah, um, I mean, we've always felt that we were a great place to work. Um, we were a family business, and we treated everybody like they were family. Um, but I think over the over the years, it's 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 become um, deep, you know, even deeper um, because it's not just about you know, a great place to work, but it's about really, really understanding your people, uh, caring for your people, um, you know, making sure that, uh, that not just in the office, but, but that, that they're satisfied and that they are, that there's a balance between a work and life. And that's some things that, um, that we've really, uh, have, have, uh, Really tried to to focus on over these last number of years. So, um, yeah, the when the great places to work came out, it was I, I just was kind of curious how we would stack up. How would we do? Um, you know, in a couple of years, we didn't make the list, and we worked harder and harder. But what it gave us was really good measurement. Gave us metrics to be able to to follow. And how are we doing in these different areas so we could focus our efforts where it appeared we needed to to focus some efforts. So. Um, it simply was, it wasn't so much to make the list. Um, it really was to benchmark where we were so we could continually work on getting better. And that's really the reason we continue to do it. Yeah, that, that measurement is so important. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about that in the whole conscious capitalism world about, you know, it, it's very it's very easy to measure the, the profits. It's easy to measure the, the bottom line and and not that that's a good or bad thing, you know, you got to be able to, to make money and keep the lights on. But if you don't have other measurements of success, then then the, the one measure that's that's easiest is you're always going to revert back to, well, did we make money or not? And, and so how do you measure what matters we, we talk about in terms of that culture, in terms of being a great place to work or however you define that uh, in terms of how do you measure some other things so that there's some other things on your on your dashboard as a leader that you're caring about and that you can measure success because as they say, if you can measure it, you can manage it, you can improve it, those those elements. So are there certain elements from the from that survey or other measurements that you have at Sage Ruddy of, of how you measure success or measure the, the culture in, in, in ways beyond the bottom line? Yeah, I will tell you that um, it probably comes down to retention and turnover. Um, we have we have very little very little turnover. We have terrific retention. I mean, we're celebrating 25, 30, 35 year anniversaries, and we make a big deal out of five year anniversary increments at our firm. Um, and I think those are the numbers that that I look at. Those are the things that are important to me. Um, I think if you, I think if you put too much emphasis on the 
on the, the the bottom line. I mean, of course, we all have to we all have to be profitable at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being a, a family business, um, we we can make investments and know that we're not going to get a return on it a year from a half a year from now, a year from now, maybe even two or three years from now. Um, you know, we've been working on an initiative, Sage Ready University, for five or six years now. Um, we believe we believe in it wholeheartedly. And um, somebody might have uh, axed that long ago, just saying, you know what, there's there's not enough return on the investment, but there's so much beyond just, you know, just the dollars. Um, so I, I, I think retention um, is, is a really, really important measurement for, for how we're doing as, as a company. And um, I also believe if you focus on those things, the other things will follow. You know, you have to be good stewards of, 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 your, of your capital. You have to allocate those resources appropriately. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, um, we're not in a real super big hurry. We're ready to, we're, we're in this for the long haul. Well past, you know, I'm a third generation working on a fourth generation. So we'll make decisions that'll be good for them, not necessarily what's good for me. Yeah, you talked about that in uh, a little bit in terms of the, the different jobs that you had before you became a, a leader of the company, and I, and I know I, I've had some some discussions with both of your both of your sons that are in the firm, uh, Connor and and uh, and Trevor. And so, when you're thinking about the the future of of Sage Ruddy, how does how does that come into play in terms of in terms of that culture, in terms of uh, that succession plan? What do, what are you thinking about in in those elements? Well, I think, you know, whenever you're talking about a successful transition from one generation to another generation, and it doesn't have to be a family. It could be at Eastman Kodak. It could be from, it could be anywhere. Uh, maybe Eastman Kodak's not a good example. <laughs> but, um, you know, another, another company. It really is a transfer and a transition of trust. Um, if, if, if I, when I ultimately am done and I am no longer managing that firm, there better be a strong sense of trust between the, the individuals that remain and, and the next generation of Holly leadership or people won't stay. So our focus, you know, during my transition time is really about that trust, continuing the trust, making sure that um, nobody has to be afraid of somebody sneaking up from behind them and, you know, um, and that there's honesty. And uh, sometimes, you know, you've got hard decisions to make, but you can make hard decisions and, and be honest about them um, and, and, and try to find other solutions if you can. But at the end of the day, sometimes the decisions are, are tough. But I think it's all about the transition of trust, and that's how we're focusing our, um, you know, our transition. Yeah, the transition of trust. I, I really like that, that way of thinking about it. And, and as I'm thinking back again is for part of your story that, that you weren't thinking originally that, that maybe this was the, the career path for you. So with your, with your sons, was that something where they thought from a, from a young age that, that Sage Ruddy was part of their future? Or do you think that they also similarly needed to go and do some other things before they stumbled into it? 
Uh, well, both of them did go do things separately, and Trevor's uh, Trevor wanted to be a rock star and went out to California and, and did the music thing for a couple of years and things like that. And he came back and had some other jobs, um, you know, and then ultimately we found a great an opening for him that he was interested in and, um, and has done a wonderful job with that. Connor also, he left, uh, he left Rochester to pursue some other, other dreams and came back and um, really decided that he wanted to settle, settle down, settle in and really work on on a career and um, so we gave him that opportunity and um, I don't uh, we never really talked about it. it was the same thing with my father we didn't sit there you know around the table and say well you know you're gonna come someday you're coming into the business and things like that as a parent all I want for my children is to be happy and do something that they're passionate about so that when they get up in the morning it isn't a, it's not a drag to go to work that they're there because they really want to be there so it uh, I'm not sure the other way is 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 the right way to go about it. Yeah. Now, now tell tell us a little bit about your kind of leadership ethos, or, or, or we were talking before we got started a little bit about a, a time when you were shoveling snow off the roof uh, of of Sage Ruddy way back in the day. Um, you know, I think it is really important sometimes for the for the leaders to get their hands dirty a little bit, do those do those sorts of things. What what, what kind of things do you really focus on when you're leading Sage Ruddy and, and trying to build the culture that that we've been talking about and it is a really important differentiator for you? Yeah, you know, you really I, you have to walk the walk. Uh, you can you can talk about it. You can write about it. You can um, you can develop a, a plan around how you want your your company to be and what have you. Um, but if every single day when you walk in that door, if you don't if you don't live that um, in every aspect of what you're doing. Um, you will fail. And, you know, I mean, we had, when we got started down that path, um, you know, I inherited a a different kind of business. Um, I wasn't, uh, I was kind of unhappy because I didn't like the culture that there was. And I, I wasn't quite sure that I could really, really make that change. And one day I, I just had this, uh, I just had this, I don't know, epiphany or what have you. And just thought, you know, I can make it anything I want. Um, I just need to, to, set down, decide what I want it to be, and and then do it. And, um, you know, when you first get started, people question it and like, oh, you know, here we go again, or yep, yeah, that's not going to last or or whatever. And, um, and then you just have to stay with it. And, you know, sit here, sitting here today, I can say that we've, 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 we've convinced everybody that <laughs> that's who we are and, um, and that uh, that's what they can count on day in and day out and year after year. So um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's hard work, um, but anything, anything worthwhile is. And and it sounds like you know, and I would definitely agree that 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 consistency is key. You know, anytime you try to bring in some new some new culture change initiative or any any kind of change initiative, people are always wondering if it's going to be the the flavor of the month, and if it's if it's just oh you you read some oh Wayne read some book and you know now he's going to try this sort of thing out. Um, so that consistency is really big. But are are there any are there any practices or elements, or it sounds like you you have a, a Sage Ruddy, Ruddy University? Are there are there anything uh, kind of institutions programs that that you've seen have been real strong impacts of that culture? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that came up when we were first starting to talk about this and did some strategic planning around it, um, communication. Um, and I think any organization always has a, has a challenge with communication. Um, you're never quite sure what somebody hears, even when you say, say it. Um, but um, uh, so one of the things that came out of it was that they felt that um, that uh, I needed to have more frequent communication about what's going on around the firm. So let's see, we're in our ninth year now, um, and I put out a monthly newsletter called Wayne's World, actually. Love it. Yeah. And um, so it's been nine years now, and I have not missed a month in nine years. I have it out by the 10th of the month, um, and I think people... I think I think people look forward to to again. It's a recap of all the different things we we, we do um, as an organization. Uh, I, items that are that are outstanding, something that we're thinking about or working on, and uh, just some kind of general updates. And so, um, you know, out of that, I would say that that's one of the things that we've kind of institutionalized, which really helps to support a strong culture. And in those newsletters, I tie everything back to our core values and our core purpose um, so that it it's a refresher and a reminder of, um, you know, of, of why we're doing these things. Great. Yeah. It, so one of the things, as you were mentioning that, was that it sounds like you got a little bit of feedback from folks that, that they wanted some of that more more clear and consistent communication. And so what kinds of practices, if other leaders are, are looking to to do some of those sorts of things, what sort of, sort of practices do you have in place to get that kind of feedback? Do you, is it as simple as a suggestion box? Do you do surveys? Is it from that Great Place to Work Institute survey? Or where, where are you getting some of your feedback from your employees for some of these ideas? Okay. You know, we do have a suggestion box, yes. Um, uh, the Great Places to Work survey um, and information, yes, we use that. That's very, very important. Another thing that we've instituted is we have quarterly, and it, this has kind of been a work in progress to get it tweaked right and everything like that, but we have uh, we have a quarterly town hall meeting, and um, there everybody can submit questions ahead of time to myself, to the management team uh, that they'd like to have some answers to. Um, we'll cut the we'll cut the date off uh, for any any new questions. And then the management team will will hunker down and and review um, review those and and what what's the answer the response to those. In fact, this afternoon when I get done here, we have the second of we have the second one of a two. Um, each quarter we do two, just so people if they can't get it in their schedule. But we have the we have one at four o'clock this afternoon that I'll be attending. Um, so I think those town hall meetings are great opportunities to um, to. Um, uh, to share communication going both ways. And then the other thing I would just say is, is listen, you know, listen, um, when you're just having conversations, you know, um, pay attention, really, really important. You also mentioned your, your values and your kind of purpose and how you're trying to always tie that back. And I think that's so important. Uh, you know, I work with a lot of companies on, on how to create that, that vision and create those, those values, but then it's, it's tempting for them many times to make the fancy plaque and put it up on the wall and think that they're all done with values. And, and so I, I applaud your efforts to, to keep that consistent communication in the newsletter. But tell me a little bit about how you how you created your values was that something that that you sat down to come up with or or how did how did that kind of come about you know we really developed them all together um that was something <clears throat> when we did that initial strategic plan and such we 
we developed them. We developed them as an organization. So it wasn't just me writing them down what I thought they were. This was the involvement of everybody, everybody in the in the company. And and so I'm curious. You, you mentioned earlier that you try to tie back to your values when you're writing your newsletter. Um, what other practices have you found to be successful in terms of keeping those values top of mind? Whether it's through the the hiring or the recognition programs, how do you how do you keep those values alive at Sage Ruddy? Well, it's just, it is that. It is through through recognition. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of our values is giving back to our community and such. We're working on a Habitat for Humanity build right now. Um, most everybody in the firm has been participating. We started helping to build a house um, back in May. We'll finish up here um, in, uh, in, a, in a little bit early in early October. And, um, and that's just, that's getting... That's uh, and again, you know, work-life balance. So, so giving back to the community, getting uh, different people in the firm to work together, who may not necessarily on a day-to-day basis work together, um, just because of different roles and what have you, and get to find out what's what's important to them. So, we do a lot of we do a lot of that um, working together on on different things and um, just staying connected to each other at uh, both in the office and outside of the office. We just had a couple of days. We had um, we had some really really had a couple of really, really good months. We had a, a cornhole tournament with a food truck that came in. Um, you know, we just had we had a blast. The, the night after that, we were out at a, at a local place, um, you know, with food and, and cocktails again and with spouses, you know, significant others that came out and stuff. So we like to we like to we like to recognize and so it's you know work hard but also recognize all that and all that all that ties in all really does yeah yeah when we're talking about conscious capitalism and you know having a having a purpose beyond just the profits and really focused on balancing the needs of all the stakeholders you know not just the not just the bottom line and the stockholders but what about the employees and the customers and the community and all these stakeholders around around the business uh, and, and that usually, in the in the long term at least, leads to leads to more success, even even by bottom line metrics. But but how do you see uh, how do you see the role of, of business, you know, in, in the world? Because there there is a the 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 greed is good, Gordon Gecko kind of a mentality for some business uh, owners and leaders. And then there's there's a, a more conscious capitalism approach that it, it seems like like you really embody. Um, where do you see business falling into that that give back element? Yeah, you know, most of the businesses that I am exposed to um, through knowing leadership in those businesses, owners of those businesses, they all run their businesses in, in similar ways. I think they're because their name's attached to it. Um, so it's really, really important to them. Um, I... I think, uh, you know, you talk about uh, greed and, and things like that. I'm not quite sure if that's the driving force if a business is sustainable because usually somewhere along the line it blows up. Um, something doesn't work, um, you know, and, it, and unfortunately it, it sometimes takes good people down with them. Um, so that's, that's too, too bad. I think, you know, today, uh, public companies, that's a tough thing, a tough thing because, um, you know, we've become very short sighted in, and, you know, what's next quarter's numbers look like. And, um, you know, how, uh, are we going to grow the, are we going to grow the bottom line and what's, what, what's the p- pipeline look like for revenues and such and the stock market and the prices of the stocks are bouncing around and everything. Uh, leaders at public companies have a tough, tough, 
role these days, um, you know, because they they want to do the right things. They 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 want to be able to allocate their resources for the long term health and the long term good of the company and their people and what have you. But um, boy, the uh, the shareholders out there can can make it very very difficult. So I sure don't envy somebody in the in a role of a public company leader for sure. Yeah, and and you were talking as well about some of the things that that you've been able to implement with that longer term focus. Is, is there anything that comes to mind in terms of times when you know? There have been some kind of uh, adversarial relationship either between that that long-term results and long-term profits and maybe it hurt you in the short term or you had to make a tough decision like that? Sure. You know, we had recruited a a couple of advisors um, from another firm a number of years ago and I thought that they would be a a good fit for the organization. And... um, After about three years of trying to make it work and and what have you, we just decided that it it was just not a good cultural fit for us. So um, so we helped them make a decision of how of where they where they would want to go. Um, we gave them a lot of time to get all those different things in place, um, and we helped them. We actually helped them move. We didn't chase their clients. We didn't you know didn't do anything like that. We just we just parted ways because it wasn't a good fit, you know, and they took their revenues with them and the profits that those revenues generated. But in the long run, um, it was, it was a, it was a good decision to make. Uh, don't regret it for a second. And if I had any regret, we probably just should have made that a little bit sooner. That's all. Okay. Yeah. That's all. So if there's not a good fit, shake hands, part ways, um, and, and move on. Yeah. I think that those are really the times, I mean, when, when you make the decision that that doesn't have any short term impact, um, you know that's certainly important. But when there is a little bit of pain in the short term, and you're still willing to make that decision, that speaks volumes to to the employees. You know that it's not one of these flavor of the month sort of sort of initiatives with culture, but that we really believe it and we're willing to take that hit uh, because we believe that it's best for the the long term viability, growth, culture of the company. Absolutely, and we've grown grown tremendously since then. Um, people believe, you know, that we we live we live our words, and and um, it's a strong message for sure. So, do you see culture? Do you see that uh, that ethos that you have at Sage Ruddy being a, an integral part of that of that growth and success? Absolutely. You know, it is a little bit of a, probably a, a, a double-edged sword though. Um, so yes, absolutely, because it retains people. We've been, we've recruited some nice people that were attracted to that, but it limits the, if you're a small company like us and we're geographically, we're pretty much in Rochester, not that we don't have clients all over the country, but, um, but our advisor base is, is in Rochester. Um, if you're going to be very, very selective and make sure that there you're going to fit your culture, you don't have it's it's a smaller it's a smaller universe of 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 good of good prospective advisors for the firm. So, you know, if we would take anybody that was breathing and could generate revenue, then maybe we we probably even could grow faster. But um, it's again talking about sustainability, um, talking about the long term. So um, I'd rather I'd err on the side of make sure we get good people. People that fit believe in what we're doing because it's it's aligned with what they want to do, and um, and we'll just keep looking. We'll keep looking for them. But probably a little little bit. Of the, it can you could see it on either side for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm I'm thinking as well. You you were mentioning 
some of the, I guess, the epiphany that you had that you as a leader could be the, the change of the, of the culture of the organization. Is there, is there anything that you attribute that kind of evolution uh, of your own mindset? And, and is there anything that you do to try to help encourage that sort of evolution in the other, the other leaders and folks in your firm? Um, I think, frankly, I think I probably just got so, I was to the point where I thought I was really going to start thinking about exiting, <clears throat> exiting the firm. Um, and then I just kind of, just kind of woke up one day thinking that's just, that's just silly. Um, we can do something here. Um, I read a book and I won't think of the author's name, but it was, it was an older book, but called Deep Change. And, um, it was a really, really good book because, um, I didn't have this super clear vision of where I wanted to take the firm. Um, but this book, this deep change uh, book that I read, it, it, was, it was okay. They, the, the message of the book was you don't have to exactly know where you're going. You can build it while you, they talk about building a bridge while you walk on it. And, um, and so that kind of gave me the courage to just start down the path but not necessarily knowing exactly where I was going to go or exactly how I was going to get there. So that was that. Was that. The other piece is, is that I also um, started to really work on myself. Um, you know, I, um, I did some, uh, some uh, coaching, some coaching work. Um, I joined a, a CEO group where I surrounded myself with other CEOs that help each other, um, and I continue to do that. Um, I also... I also have four of my managers in similar groups. We make that investment in in, in my people um, because I want them to be. I want them to keep raising the bar and getting better and smarter and uh, and making good good leadership decisions. So, in reinvesting in in ourselves and in reinvesting in our leadership is a, a big investment that we make. But it um, it's worth it's worth it. You know, ten times, twenty times what uh, what the investment is. Yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, again, it's it's another element of some of those some of those short term costs, but you you do have to sort of frame it in terms of the investment that you're making uh, in the future of of Sage and in, in the future of the organization. But is there anything that you see? Um, you know, why why do you think more organizations don't adopt this this longer term approach? We talked a little bit about the the stockholders and and, and that element and for public companies, but why why do you think more folks don't adopt this sort of conscious capitalism ethos in terms of their investment in their culture and their purpose? I think it's just their, I think it's just probably their personalities. It's just who they are. You know, a lot of, some of them are autocratic thinkers. Um, Many of them probably think that um, they know it, know it all. Um, Nobody can help me. And, um, and it's my way or, you know, the old my way or the highway kind of thing. Um, you know what? And there are a lot of, there are many successful companies that, that operate that way. That's not the way that I would choose to operate, but for that individual, um, you know, I guess that's, that's what they've chosen. Um, I would, it would be interesting to know what their retention rates are and, and, uh, you know, and what their turnover rates are for employees. Cause boy, uh, you know how expensive finding a good employee is, a good worker, um, and having to bring them back in, having you know replace them and train them, and that 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 ramp up time and and learning curve and everything like that. There's nothing more expensive than losing a good person and having to to go find another one and then build up their their expertise over a, over a period of time. So I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how people do it, but. I guess maybe it depends a little bit on the business you're in too, you know? Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. So is there any kind of advice that you would give to, to folks that maybe are, other than it sounds like reading, reading Deep Change could be, could be a, a classic, yeah. uh, but, but is, there, is there any other advice, someone that does have a, a similar epiphany that, you know, I am the leader and, and I could really change the culture if I wanted to um, of, in terms of maybe, maybe also some of those CEO groups that, that you're involved with, but what kinds of advice would you give to someone who, who does want to move their company in this sort of direction? Uh, I would, uh, first I would say, you know, follow their heart. Um, that if that, is that who they really, really are deep down? Because if they're not, you know, it, it won't last again, it won't be sustainable. So they have to be doing it because that's really, really what they, what they want to be. I don't want to say remembered for, but I mean, you know, someday my time at the firm will be over and I hope that people, when they look back on it, they will say, wow, you know, he created a lot of great a lot of great change in the organization. Um, he he developed the company, you know, to be stronger and better during difficult difficult times and challenging times, and left it in a in a better place than than when he when he started. Um, so I would I mean that's the way I would want people to to think of me. Um, so unless you're unless somebody's really deeply committed to it, because it's not you're either you're either all in or you're not in at all. I can tell you that much. And I would say probably the next thing that's that probably has helped me the most would be those CEO groups um, surrounding my with other like-minded uh, business owners that I can learn from and I can share experiences with and, you know, give you that support when it's, when there's, when it's tough for some reason, something's going on and, you know, you want to bang your head against the wall and um, that they're there to listen and to counsel you and to, you know, to, to kind of to give you a, a hand up to uh, to get you through to the to the next day, but um, I think um, having the right people, and I guess that would have to extend also to your leadership team. You got to make sure Absolutely. your leadership team are are thinking the same way. And if they're not, you got to find new leaders because boy, you can be going doing everything right, and if you got somebody else undermining you at a leadership level or anywhere in the organization, you got to be brave enough to cut to cut that out because it'll 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 kill you. Well, you, you gave us a great way to sort of start to wrap this up where I'd, I'd love to hear, it sounds like you're talking about a little bit about your, your own legacy that you'd like to, to leave at Sage Ruddy in terms of how people remember you. But what does, what does Sage Ruddy look like in, in five or 10 years? What, what are you all sort of dreaming about? And then uh, it sounds like it, some of that is you starting to step away. So what does that mean for Wayne? What, what, is Wayne, what does life look like for Wayne in five to 10 years? <laughs> Well, I'd like to think that I never uh, will ever be out of Sage Ready, so to speak, but could play different roles. I mean, I'll always be an ambassador uh, for the organization. Um, I'll always be there for counsel uh, for everyone. Um, I'd like to be able to help continue to develop our advisors, our young advisors, um, help you know some of the some of the the relationships that I have now outside of the office um, should be able to bear some fruit for clients for the firm and for our advisors. So I'd like to be able to to connect advisors with, with other uh, potential new clients. I mean, that would be a wonderful thing to do. I'll probably spend a bunch more time um, out of the office with some great 
great causes. I find a great deal of um, of um, satisfaction in giving back to the community. I've done. I've spent a few of the days on this Habitat for Humanity build, and I love getting out there and 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 doing things with my hands. I could easily see myself donating one or two days a week um, at a Habitat for Humanity uh, build, um, and then you know I've got other. As you know from my background, we've got a lot of passion around helping children. So, you know, my board work and chair of Bavona, that'll continue for a long time and involve there. So um, from the firm standpoint, I think we're just going to have to um, navigate change. We've got uh, things coming up like artificial intelligence that people are talking about. Um, you know, they've already said, oh, my gosh, that's going to, you know, our world's going to be crushed and things like that. It'll be another tool. It'll be a terrific tool for forecasting, a terrific tool um, for for uh, developing um, uh, portfolio strategies and things like that, but um, again, I just don't think you can take that human, the human connection away from that relationship. In the medical field today, doctors use AI for diagnosis, you know, um, and they've really it, they embrace it and love it. But um, uh, the computer still isn't uh, placing the incision um, and uh, talking with the client at the side of the bed, holding their hand and telling them it's all going to be okay. So um, I think we're going to be, I think we'll be better, stronger, um, and we'll be bringing even greater value to our, to our client base. Um, we'll just continue to, uh, to keep doing what we're doing and getting better. Love it. Well, lastly, uh, for those that maybe are really resonating and, and maybe they're looking for, they'd love to work at a great place to work, or maybe they'd love to invest their money at a place where it really has that conscious capitalism ethos, where can they learn a little bit more about Sage Ruddy? Go to our website, www.sageruddy.com. It talks about, uh, about um, <clears throat> you know, our culture. It talks about our, um, about, it, it introduces all of our different advisors and the different um, passions that they, that they have and tells you a lot of just about who we are and that we've built that reputation over the last 102, 103 years. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for coming in today, Wayne. And, and more importantly, thanks for all the work that you're doing day in and day out to really be uh, an example of conscious capitalism in Rochester. My pleasure. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.